Um, let's jump into our, our, our series. We're starting a new series uh, today um, called, I'm just calling it Pop Scriptures. Um, <laughs> this is, uh, uh, you know, you ever, uh, ever have a, a song get stuck in your head? Of course you have. Everybody has. Um, ever have a word that you're in conversation, either somebody else or you, uh, for whatever reason you're having a conversation and you end up saying the same word um, over and over and over again to the point where you're convinced that you're not saying the word correctly anymore? This happens a lot to me visually when I'm, uh, if I'm doing graphic work, if you've ever done the big flyers or anything like that, and you have to pick a font. Has anybody ever spent 45 minutes looking at a word in different fonts? Oh my gosh. It, it's, it, 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 it's hypnotizing. And, and it's, uh, most of the time it is a waste of time. And at least... Two or three times, whenever I fall into these font holes or whatever you want to call it, I will, um, I will be convinced that I have the word misspelled because I st- I've been staring at these letters so much they've lost all their meaning, right? We've all, we've all experienced this in, in different ways. And it's, you know, there's an old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. And, um, and I think that, that, that that's definitely true in all facets of life. And, it, and it's true in, I think, our, some of our approach or our mentality when it comes to certain, certain scriptures. We know that, that all of the Bible is inspired by God. We, we, we trust it. We believe it. Um, but, but there are some scriptures that we hear a lot, Right? They are the answer. The Sundays, you learned them when you were in kindergarten, and they've been the answer to 40% of the questions in church and in life that, that you've heard, right? That we constantly say to each other. And I think at times, if we're not, not careful, um, they can lose a little bit of their power. And that's a shame because the reality is that they're cliche, if you want to use that word, for a reason. Because they are powerful scriptures, Right? They are, they are all encompassing. They, they have some, um, they're there and we use them a lot because they have a lot of uh, information and a lot of inspiration within them. And so uh, this, this series, Pop Scriptures, I want to revisit some of, those, some of those verses, some of those passages that we've heard a million times, and maybe they've lost a little bit of their, their luster. You know, we, we, you see it or you start to read it. Uh, you know, maybe it comes up in your Bible reading plan or, or um, like the one we, we see to, what we're going to talk about today. You may see it at a football game. Um, you know, they're all over the place and you see it, it registers and you, you just kind of move on because, because been there, done that. Um, so my, my hope is, and my plan is for this series to, to revisit some of those verses and really take a deeper look at them. And, and, and my hope, and, and our, I'm trusting that the, through this, the Lord kind of rekindles our, 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 our love for these verses are uh, that they would impact us again the way they did when we first came to understand them because they are they, they are foundational for, for our, our spiritual well-being and sometimes I think the only way to do that is we have to we have to go deeper right we, we understand it at this level we need to really really look at it and and go and, and kind of reprocess it all so that's what we're going to be doing is really breaking down some some of these these passages and Starting with a broader context, right? We're going to look at where they fit in Scripture um, so that we have a more holistic understanding of the verse. Um, That's an important thing. I I put, actually, I kind of, uh, just on my Facebook page, I threw out the question this week just uh, to ask, you know, just get other people's opinion on what are some cliche verses. And it was interesting to me that most people that responded, um, responded with, I'd say the majority, with verses that were popular, but their, the, re, the main thing that they threw out there, or their comment led me to believe that they were answering not just what was popular, but what was the most misunderstood verse to them, right? Verses that get taken out of context, um, which we also have to, uh, have to, to be aware of, be, be wary of. And, and, and we certainly don't want to do that. And with cliche verses, that can certainly happen. And so the way we combat that is we look at it in context, right? We don't just look at the verse. We look at the passage. We look at 
the stuff around it so we fully understand it. So that's what we're going to be doing. Um, before we jump into our text, let's just, uh, I just want to invite the Lord into, into his, his word today. God, we, we thank you. Um, we've sensed your presence already this morning. Uh, God, I just say thank you for making yourself uh, known, for ministering to us. We pray that you, you were um, honored by, by, by our praise and our worship this morning. God, would you continue to speak through your word? Um, God, we believe that it is alive and active and able to, to change our hearts, our minds, and our, our, our eternities, for that matter. And so we, we open, uh, open ourselves up. I ask that you would speak through me, that people would hear what's on your heart today, God, that we would follow your agenda. Um, amen. Amen. So, uh, okay. So I, I alluded to it earlier, the verse we're going to be looking at today, that we're starting with the, the, the biggest, I think, Mamu of all popular scriptures. Uh, this is the, the one, if, 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 if somebody knows a Bible verse, there's a, probably a really good chance this is the one they know. Um, John 3.16, right? We, we, we know this is, this is the one we've managed to get. In, it's managed to stay in circulation in our culture. That's not super big on, on scriptures. I don't know if you've noticed that, but, um, you know, American culture is, is, is not super excited about putting Bible verses on things. I don't, I, maybe that was just me that's noticed that. But um, So John 3.16, like I said, we want to look at the context, so we're going to kind of do a zoom into this verse so we kind of know where it fits in the, in the story, in the narrative of of, of the Bible. Um, and it starts in the spring of 28 AD. <laughs> okay. So that's the, that in, in sometimes I like putting, you know, dates like dates onto where scripture fits. Cause it helps me remember and, um, remember that the, this is in the Bible is not some separate history from humanity, right? It happened we know that, but sometimes we feel like, oh, there's Bible history, there's things I learn at church or in Bible school or in Bible study, and then there's history. Well, no, it's all, <laughs> it's all the same. It's all the same. It all happened just as much. It's all real. Um, so in the spring of 28 AD, um, it, it roughly is, is when, when this verse was first spoken uh, by Jesus. This is uh, towards the beginning of his ministry. Um, you can know that uh, anytime you, you are, when you hear a, a gospel, right? And there's a reference, there's a little, little, little cheat. Um, you know, the numbers go up the later in the, 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 the higher the number in the chapter, the later it is in Jesus' life, right? So John 3, we're, we're, we're looking at something early in his, in his life because at the beginning of the book. Um, that seems very obvious, but it can be helpful at times. I... I Use that regularly to help me understand where things, where things are uh, in, in sequence when we're talking about uh, the life of Jesus or any book, really, um, in, in Scripture. So Jesus has recently performed his first miracle. Um, okay, pop quiz. I just shouted out, what was Jesus' first miracle? Water and wine. That's right, the wedding at Cana. Um, and he did it because his mommy made him. He was not planning on doing it. Um, we're not going to go into that story. Uh, but Jesus has, has performed this miracle, water into wine. Uh, the disciples witnessed this. The, the crowd in general didn't really uh, comprehend what was going on. Um, Jesus has also gone then to Jerusalem, and he has uh, made his, his presence known by clearing the temple. He actually, you know, he does this, he kind of bookends his, his time here, his ministry with, with this act of going into, uh, you know, he comes to Jerusalem for Passover and he goes into the temple and he sees people basically treating, treating the temple like a marketplace, treating it um, with, with really disrespect and they, they had lost their, um, their appreciation and their reverence for what was supposed to be happening there. And so, so Jesus gets their attention by, by clearing it. He turns over tables, he takes a whip, he, and he you know, scatters the animals. It, it was chaos that he, he creates. And so he, he, you know, he, this gets the attention of the people because this doesn't happen very often. Um, 
And we come to our story uh, in John chapter 3. We're going to start at the beginning of the chapter. Um, John 3.16 is, we will find, you'll find it's, it's a verse, it's, it's a statement Jesus made in the context of a conversation. So uh, we don't want to drop in in the middle of the conversation. We want to start at the beginning so we understand, you know, the whole conversation. We can get in trouble when we only hear the middle of a conversation. Has anybody ever had that happen to them? You're having a conversation, somebody walks up and they just hear the statement you just said and they get this weird look in their face like, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but that did not sound right. <laughs> it can, can cause trouble. So we want to make sure we start at the beginning of the conversation. So John chapter 3, um, starting in verse 1, says, there was, there was a man named Nicodemus. He was a, uh, we're going to get some good information about Nicodemus. He was a religious leader who was a Pharisee. So those two pieces, um, and it's, it's important, they're valuable that they're both there. He was a relig- for us, especially in America, because we don't really, we don't have this here, but he was a religious leader who was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was, was a, a largely political organization, um, but he was a religious leader. And for us, that seems like, oh, that's, that's a little interesting. We tend to, we, especially nowadays, we try, and the general... Um, Perspective is, you know, faith and politics should be separate. Um, but in, in this culture, that was, that was not the case. All right. Um, th- th- they would have not even understood that concept of separation of church and state because we're talking about the nation of Israel who were, there was no separation because they were born out of being led by God himself. And they, they, had, they still had that, that value. And so the, there really was no, um, deli- very little delineation between political leaders and religious leaders at this time. Um, so, so we have this Nicodemus, who's both. He's a, a, polit- he's a political and religious leader. And uh, after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. So this is a private conversation. We're not out in the streets and there's not throngs of people around. It's a private conversation. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evident that God is with you. Um, And before we go on, there's one other thing we need to mention. Uh, You notice it said that he, after dark one evening. So Nicodemus is is going to Jesus after dark. Why is that? Um, This is one of those rare instances where Jesus, I think, it seems, is having an honest conversation with the Pharisee. Mostly because this is one of the very rare instances where a Pharisee is trying to have an honest conversation with Jesus. The rest of Scripture, most of the time when Jesus is interacting with with the Pharisees or the religious establishment, there is an agenda to the conversation. And it's simple. They're trying to make him look bad. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to, they're not interested in trying to understand um, what he is saying or, or validate it um, or even disprove it. They want him to look bad. They want, they're trying to, to, to destroy him. Um, and that's not what this conversation seems to be. He comes at night because he doesn't want there to be a, a public um, outcry. He doesn't want that. He, he's, he's coming to Jesus, it seems, because he has questions. He's genuinely seeking some answers. And so Jesus, Jesus replies. He says, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Reasonable question. Uh, Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Now this is a a lot in this verse, and it's a little... um, abstract for us, right? There's, there's a lot of distance in language and, and, and understanding here. Uh, but one of the things that uh, I found really informative of this was typically, like a lot, when I would read this verse, um, sometimes I, the thought, my understanding or perspective of it would be that 
he's being caught up. Nicodemus is struggling with this, the, the imagery, right? This idea of being born again um, as a concept. He's not getting this analogy. He thinks it's literal. Uh, but the reality is that's, that's probably not what's going on here because this, this idea of being born again, it wouldn't have been a foreign concept to him. Um, in, in Judaism, in, in, in his, the, the religion that he was a leader of and presumably knew, <laughs> right? A convert who was baptized into their faith, who, who, you know, someone who was not born Jewish, that wanted to become, become Jewish, uh, they were referred to as a newborn child, as starting a new life, as being born again. This was a, Jesus is not inventing some new, um, some new visual to help understand. He's actually borrowing from, from Judaism. And so it, that, that changes what, what Nicodemus' hang-up is. If he understood, if he understood the, the, the imagery, right, um, then what, what is he struggling with? And it, it seems to me that, that Nicodemus here is struggling to understand because it never occurred to him that a Jew would need to be reborn since they were already born into the right family. It wasn't the, his problem wasn't, wasn't the imagery. It was the position that, that this, this statement that Jesus is making is putting him in. It, it's challenging the fact that he, he, it's not that he didn't understand what born again is. He didn't understand how he couldn't have already been born again because he was Jewish. There was a misunderstanding of what, what it took to be right in right standing with God. And I think we, we still struggle with this today. We, we, we can struggle with, with thinking we're, all, we're assuming we're already born again uh, based on the fact that, you know, our family is Christian. We grew up in a Christian home or, or we attend a great Christian church or, or we do a lot of Christian things, right? I go to church. That makes me a Christian. I, I, I give my tithe. That, 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 that makes me a Christian. Um, but it's a dangerous falsehood. Because as we'll learn as we go, Jesus is going to help try and help Nicodemus understand that, there, that none of us is born right. Right? Um, it seems that Nicodemus is struggling to believe in Jesus as his Savior because he can't see how much he needs one. And this is the struggle I think we all until we actually come to Jesus, until we are born again, until we, we have a relationship with, with Jesus, this is the, one of the primary things that holds us up, is, is acknowledging the fact that we need a Savior, right? And there's many reasons, many, many reasons why we, 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 we miss that, that reality. Um, so he asks, Nicodemus doesn't give up, though. He, he asks again, he says, how are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Um, verse 10, Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish leader, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you, what, uh, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe me if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. So in essence, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, uh, this is the, the Jeremy translation, uh, listen, Nick, you, you have this, all this book learning, right? You, you're a religious leader. You, one of the, like, if, the fact that he was a Pharisee and a religious leader, he had more uh, Bible knowledge, Old Testament anyway, Bible knowledge than there's a very good chance any of us in this room. Right, that they, they, they to become the amount they didn't have, you know, everyone didn't get, they didn't have Bible apps, they didn't have, you know, they didn't have printing presses yet. No, the leaders didn't all have a copy of the the Torah, you know, in, in their living room that they could read their devos every night. So how did they study? They memorized. Like Nicodemus literally knew the Old Testament. I don't mean like knew the stories, like. You could point at him and say, Genesis, go. And he would just be able to recite the Old Testament. This guy knew the Old Testament. Um, 
And so that's what Jesus is saying. You understand, you have all this book learning, but you want to trust in your understanding more than the person standing right in front of you who wrote the thing that you're trying to put your trust in. And that's where, where the difference comes. Jesus, um, Nicodemus was still trusting, trying to trust in, in his understanding of what was going on and not putting that under the person that he was being confronted with, right? That Jesus, the only way we come to Jesus is when we start by saying, by, by relinquishing the fact that, that we can understand him, right? He understands us. We have to submit our understanding to him. And it can't be a, God, I'll believe as soon as I understand. This is where I, we all struggle with this in different phases, different times. That God, help me understand so I can believe. The reality is that's not the way it works. Jesus says, learn to trust me. And as you do that, I can reveal myself to you and you'll understand. And that's what Nicodemus is. And we struggle with is that, that tension and that timing. Um, we want to understand before we trust, and that's, that's just not most of the time the way it works. Um, but Jesus is, is patient um, and, and, and answers his question anyway. Um, he says, you, you want to know how this is possible? Okay, let me, let me I'll try this again. Let me, I'm going to lay this out for you. And then only as Jesus could do in five verses, in the next five verses, he's basically going to sum up the heart and mission of the entire Bible, both old and new. In five verses. Actually, it's less than that because he's going to do it twice. He's going to say it. And like any good teacher, you know, he's going to say it again. Um, he's got, in fact, it's kind of funny. He, he, he does like a Jewish version and then like a, a Gentile version of the same, the same story, all in five verses. Um, and I'll be up here for a half hour and won't say nearly as, as much. So, Man, that's what, sorry, you have me, not him here. So just. It's going to take me longer to get there. Um, he, he, so he tells him, um, and, and then we we're coming up, John 3, 14. So he, this is Jesus explaining um, the scripture as, as, and what, it, what the, the whole of the Bible really means. He says, and Moses lifted up a bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness. So the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. I mentioned this is the, this is this was the this was the version for the Jews, right? Because you have to know some Jewish history um, to understand to make any sense of this. He's referring to a story in in the Old Testament where um, Israel had started complaining against God um, and against Moses, and so uh, God judges them, and, and they get stricken with with these snakes that start biting people, and they're getting sick, and they're dying. And so uh, they cry out to God. They, they, they repent. Moses prays for them. And so God instructs Moses. He says, make a, make an, a bronze serpent and, and put it on a, hole, a pole and raise it up. And when the people, if they will look at the, if they'll set their eyes on, on the, the serpent on the pole, I'll heal them. It's kind of a crazy story. Um, but Jesus is using that story. It comes full circle here in, in Jesus' life because it's now, it now becomes, um, that moment becomes a really powerful connection point for, for the people of Israel to understand what Jesus is doing here on earth. He's saying, he's saying I, he is that bronze snake that is lifted up on a pole, the, the cross, right? That if we'll look on him, if we'll believe on him, he, he can heal us and save us. And we'll have eternal life. It's a powerful image from their own history that Jesus calls on. And then, and then, and then it go, he goes on. Uh, it's the one we all know and, and can quote. And I, I really want to chew on this one a bit because there's so much here. And this is, this, it's so easy for us to, as, as I mentioned, the whole point of the series is kind of lose, the, lose how much is in this verse. Um, so for, for the, the rest, of, rest of our time, we're really just going to chew on John 3.16, if, that, if that's all right this morning. Um, and here it is. John, for God so loved the world 
He loved the world so much that he gave his own, one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You may have that memorized in a different version. It's, it's funny. Once you, once you actually have a, a, a verse memorized in a certain translation, it's really hard to say it, to like read it in a different translation. Has anybody ever noticed that? Uh, but this is, this is the verse, right? We, we see it on signs. We, we, we quote it. Um, but let's, let's, let's kind of disassemble it and just take it phrase by phrase um, so we can really, really embrace what it is that Jesus, our Savior, was saying to us in this moment. In this moment where he's trying to explain the gospel to Nicodemus, who is very much a, a great stand-in for us. Right, he's a he's a guy who doesn't quite get it, but he wants to, and I think that 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 definitely uh, is a good description of me. I think a lot of the time, and I, I you're here, so I trust that that's true of you as well. Um, so, for God so loved the world, first phrase, right, right off the bat, um, we see from the beginning of the verse. Uh, Jesus starts out by identifying God's motivation for this activity, right? His love for us. Not even, it says he so loved us. It's a lot of love, right? And, and the word here, we, you, you, I'm sure you've heard that, you know, the different type of Greeks loves, and this is agape love. It's a, it's a God-only kind of love. It's a self-sacrificing kind of love. It's a love that can only only comes out of God and who He is and His nature. Listen, we have to start there, and Jesus starts there because if we misunderstand God's motivation, we will never understand His actions or His intentions. Right? We we see this in our you see this in your own relationships with people. What what you believe about someone's motivation will always color everything that comes from that person to you. Everything they say, everything they do. And it's hard to see in our own relationship, so maybe let's, let's put that aside. Picture some other people, right? <laughs> like, like other dynamics of your friends or your other family drama, stuff like that, where, where you can see two people, you know, a situation where you're kind of, you know, you're not involved, you're just kind of a bystander where you see one person interacting with this other person, and it doesn't matter what this person does. This person always sees what they're doing or saying through a certain lens, right? They believe that maybe this person, you have a couple of, of uh, friends that, 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 you know, they're more frenemies than friends, and, and the one, one of them always just doesn't matter what the other person says, they will always take it the wrong way, Right? Why? It's because they have a preconceived, a, pre, a prejudice about that person's motivations. If we, don't, if we don't understand that God's activity in our life is always motivated by his love, we will always struggle to obey and to enjoy our spiritual life. Because you, can never, you will never enjoy doing something that someone told you to do if you believe that that person doesn't love you. And you can't ever trust what somebody wants you to do if you don't believe that that person loves you, right? Even down to the message itself, you can, you know, we, we, we were talking this morning, you know, about, mentioned uh, about prophecy, about God speaking into our lives. If we don't understand the motivation behind the words, we can even hear the right words and still get the message wrong, right? Because it's most of our, con our, our communication is, is nonverbal. It's all the other things. I can say, I can say something um, and you can hear it. You can get my words right, but my intention can be completely mis miscalculated, right? I can say, God bless you. I can say, God bless you. 
right? And same words, you heard the same words, but my inflections completely changed your interpretation of that. And if so, we, it's like that with God. If, we, if, we don't, if we're not hearing the right inflection in what he's trying to say, but we're reading into the words a different motivation, we will hear the, what is supposed to be messages that are supposed to be encouraging and life-giving as demanding and condemning. And so Jesus starts with this, this foundational truth in this verse that God so loved the world that he acted. It wasn't out of judgment. It wasn't out of obligation because he's God. He doesn't have to do anything. He did what he did because he wanted to because he loves us. Okay, so God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This term is, is one of the many things uh, where God is so limited by our understanding and language. All right, this, this term, there's been um, infinity books <laughs> since, since Jesus' uh, time here on earth written uh, about this idea that God gave his one and only son. What does that mean? How does God have a son? How does God have a son that's also actually him? Right? <laughs> what, what does that mean? And, and the reality is, the reality is, you don't get it. And I don't get it. And uh, uh, un, until we are face to face with him, none of us are going to get it. Because... To understand it demands a level of intellect and creativity and, and uh, capacity for, for, for perception that we just don't have, right? We, we, we will not, in, in a very real way, understand the fullness of this. And so what, we, what we've been given are analogies and words that are trying to, um, that, that Jesus is trying to communicate what, everything he tells us is true, it's just all the truth that we can handle, <laughs> right? Um, and so I, I think that's an important uh, thing when we're, when, when we're talking about the nature, anytime we're talking about the nature of God, is to start with this kind of wondrous awe of the immensity of it and recognize with a little humility that that we're, we are staring into the abyss of something we will never fully comprehend. And don't feel bad about that, right? That's, that's supposed to be part of, we're supposed to get joy out of that, that God is so big and so other that there is a, um, you know, the book of Ephesus uses this word over and over again, Paul's letter to the Ephesians about the mystery of God. There, there is a wondrous mystery to his reality that, that we, we can learn to appreciate, you know. It's like going to the, the Grand Canyon and standing on the edge and looking off. I don't, I don't have to know much about it for it to overwhelm me, right? So God gave his, his one and only son. It's, 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 it's true, but it's only... Only as much as we can process. And th this phrase here, one and only, um, is significant because they would have, especially a Bible scholar, an Old Testament scholar, a religious leader, would have understood that this, this phrase that, that Jesus puts in there is actually a callback to an Old Testament story. Um, it's the same phrase that is used when Abraham is called to... to sacrifice his son on the mountain. If you remember that story, God tells Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac. And he goes up the mountain and God reveals his nature to Abraham at the foundation of, of Israel um, in that moment where he, he stays his hand and, and provides a, a different sacrifice, the ram in the thicket, right? That was a it was a linchpin moment in, in really in creation because it was, sometimes we miss that in, in that story, we miss the, 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 the big statement that God is making there is, I am different than every other God that you've ever experienced. 
Because that all the gods at that time, the, their understanding of those gods would not have stayed the hand, right? Molech and ba Baal, all of these Old Testament gods, sacrifice, human sacrifice was a big part of that, that culture and, and expected by these gods. And so God, God does this thing to show that he is so different than all those other gods. I'm getting way off track. That's a wasting a whole nother sermon. Um, but in this, so Jesus is doing a callback to, to, again, to their history saying one and only, just like, just like way back in, in your history, God, Nicodemus, God, God sent his one and only son. He sent me to be sacrificed. And I, you know, as I was kind of meditating on this, the thought I had for, when I read this phrase was, it was really a question more than a thought. I wonder what emotions were going through Jesus as he said this. And I think it's an important question because sometimes we, I feel like we don't, sometimes we don't really think about Jesus's emotions, right? Because, because he is the son of God, we, we kind of almost disqualify the fact that he was also fully man. And so you have, have Jesus standing in this moment trying to explain to this, this guy what he's going to experience. This is not detach from him. He is the son that's getting sacrificed. That reality couldn't have been lost on him in that moment. I wonder if he was, he was overcome by thinking about the immensity of, of God's love for, for this world, including this Nicodemus that he's talking to that didn't seem to get it. Is that what he was? Was he thinking and experiencing God's love for these people or was he pained in thinking about being the one given and the separation he was at that very moment experiencing not being in heaven I mean think about that God Jesus we don't know all the details of how all the the revelation of who he was and and his knowledge worked out throughout his life but but I mean, I, I believe in this moment, I think that there was, there had to have been some acknowledgement or understanding of what, what he wasn't experiencing that he used to, right? He used to be fully present in the throne of God, with God, fully intact, with, with, with the Trinity, and the angels and everything. And now he's standing in a little clay house talking to this guy. In all likelihood, we don't know what happened to Nicodemus, but in all likelihood was at very least part of the machinery that in a few years was going to assassinate him. So is he, as he's speaking, is it, is it hard for him? Is there, is there fear? Is there pain? Is there sorrow? Or is he filled with joy at, at, with knowing that, that his uh, he was finally going to set all things right again and reunite us with himself. You know, in that moment, it's yes, it's hard. All those other things maybe he was, but was he, was it, was it a joyful kind of, you don't get this Nicodemus, but man, we are so close to, cl to, to closing this thing out and it's going to be okay. We don't know. We don't know. But I think if we're going to understand this, this scripture and scripture in general, it's important for us to ask and, and muse on those kinds of questions that so we can appreciate the, the reality of the scripture, right? That, that these are, this is a really happened with real people in real time. And there was real emotions and, and real thoughts and real fears involved in the, the one and only son of God coming to earth. And then he goes on and he says, so that everyone who believes, next phrase, everyone who believes, um, pretty straightforward piece of doctrine, but uh, he says everyone who believes, it does say who believes, it doesn't just say everyone, right? <laughs> I'm reading that right. It doesn't, it doesn't say Jesus came, he didn't say he, he sent his one and only son for everyone, not Everyone just gets eternal life because 
They were born. That's, um, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> um, we'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, but, but everyone who believes, the word believes here is pistio. Um, it's not just agreement. You know, this word believes, uh, we, we tend to take this as uh, a, a more an intellectual understanding, right? If I believe something, I, I think that it is true. I agree with it. But that's not what this word uh, originally w- would have meant. It's, it, it's not just an academic or an intellectual word. It's actually a relational term. It's a, it's a term about that, that involves trust. In their world, it was the, the word used to describe the relationship um, that, that a peasant would have with, with people of wealth and power. Um, they would, uh, you know, if you were a peasant back then, you were poor, you, your only hope of survival or advancement or security was literally to make friends with somebody powerful enough that could help you when you needed help because they didn't have social programs, right? There was no, there was no uh, health insurance. They didn't, you know, they didn't have social security. There was no, there was no, uh, uh, no small claims court where you could file. It was all built on relationships. And if you wanted to, if you wanted to survive, let alone thrive, um, and you didn't have, and you weren't a person of means, you had to align yourself with somebody who was and become their friend so that they would, um, they would speak for you. They would be able to help you. And this, this term, that, that uh, belief that it's used here is drawing on that, that image of relationship. Jesus invites us not not just to agree with what he said, but pledge our allegiance to do what he says. That's what belief really is. It's not just saying, yes, Jesus, you're right. It's saying, yes, Jesus, you're right, and I will do that. (laughs) I will live according to that. He says, so that everyone who believes will not perish. It's the next phrase. Will not, will not perish. The term here means to utterly destroy. Listen, hell is more than a mindset. It is, it is a, a real place that you wouldn't, if you, if you knew what it was and, and had a perception of it, you, you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. And Jesus has given his life to make sure that you and the, the people you love don't end up there. You know, there's a, a common question when, when, uh, that people, and genuine, uh, ask when they're, when they're searching or, or, or when people talk about <clears throat> God. One of the main questions they have is, you know, how could a loving God send people to hell? And... Sometimes, for some of us, some in the Christian faith, um, I guess you could have a debate if they're in the Christian faith, but that's a separate discussion, um, have sought to answer that question by relieving the problem. By saying, well, you know, the hell he's talking about is more of a kind of existential hell on earth but ultimately we all it's okay we all God's love suit wins and we all end up where where we where we should right in, in a good place it, it, it's not true <laughs> I wish it was this is this is the maybe the warning on the other side though we I scripture doesn't support that belief that it's true but as as real followers of Jesus we should all wish that it was does that make sense? That there, that there is a real hell. We have to, I, I think it's clear in scripture. We have to believe that that is true and that there are people that are going to end up there. But we can never get to the point where uh, uh, we get so arrogant in our own thinking that, that 
that we should feel it like satisfied or justified or comfortable with that reality. Because there is, if you don't end up there, it's not because you did anything. It's because Jesus saved you, right? And so let's, we can't be the, the, you know, Jesus tells the story about the, the, the two people, uh, the, the two servants who owed money, right? And one owed a million, the other owed five bucks. Don't be that stingy servant who gets forgiven a million dollars and then goes throttles the guy for five dollars. But that's the that's that's the phrase, and we don't we don't want to um, we don't want to fixate on this or or just kind of you know make that the central point of 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 our of our understanding of God and theology and you know our our, our presentation to people, our goal, our goal should not just be to try and literally scare the hell out of people. Um, (laughs) It's not all about that, but it is a reality. We shouldn't be afraid of that reality, of of talking about that, that truth. Um, It's an important, it, it should serve as a motivation for us personally. It's hard to look at. We don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it. But it, 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 it can, if we will, it will, it will motivate us because it reminds us of what the stakes are. That it matters if I'm willing to open my mouth and share how much Jesus loves me with those around me. But the message here is that Jesus loved us. He, he doesn't send people to hell. He saves us, right? We're all heading there. <laughs> Like we're all heading to hell. We've all, we've all done the thing that gets us to go there. And the whole heart of John three sixteen is that he loves us so much. He created this great place. We screwed it up. We, you know, set our ships towards, towards hell. And then he comes back again and says, oh, no, you don't. And he provides a second way that we can avoid that place and spend eternity with him. And that's so that everyone who believes won't perish. They won't end up there, but they'll have eternal life. Eternal life is when we, when we put our, our trust in him, our broken, weak, useless trust. When we, when we put it in him, he, he, he gives us eternal life. And notice it says that uh, everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Your eternal life, if you, are, if you are a Christian today, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you are living an eternal life in this moment. Eternal life doesn't, st- eternity doesn't just start when you die. It starts the moment you come to Jesus, the moment you are a new creation in him. That eternal life starts now. We are born again we are given a new life with, with new destiny, with new gifts, with new abilities, with a new family, with new strengths, a new way of living. And that's something we should celebrate every day and remind ourselves every day that that is the life that we are living. That is the life we are living. Listen, it, it, it's not a fair trade. Like as Christians, especially when things get, not Christians, as people, <laughs> when things go bad, we start to talk about fairness a lot, don't we? <laughs> and we come by it honestly, right? I've got, I've got two kids. That is the go-to move when you're six and 10, and I'm 44, and it's still my go-to move. That when things go bad, I look for the argument to try and explain why it's not fair, right? It's not fair that this is happening to me. Uh, It's fair that I get that thing that I want. Listen, as, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we need to embrace the fact and learn to celebrate the fact that life's not fair. Because at the end of the day, it's not fair. It's not even close to fair. And we are on the side of making out like bandits. (laughs) Because Jesus, who, if it was fair, never would have come. And just let us 
ease on down the road. Right? And so the, the whole point of this is God loved us so much, he made a really bad deal. <laughs> a really unfair trade. He traded his life for your belief in him. That does not sound like a good deal on his end. But it is for us. It is for us. It is for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your scripture. God, we pray that through your words today, you would spark in us, would you revive in us a, a love, a, a remembrance, an appreciation, a greater um, joy on, on the, I don't want to say simple, on the, the powerful reality of your, your love and salvation for us. God, would you use your word today to, to kindle, rekindle in us the, rea the, the weight of the reality of that. God, if there's anybody here that is, has never personally received and, and put their faith in you, I pray that, that you would speak to their hearts. You would, you, would, um, you would just call them today. And if that's you, if you're here or happen to be watching this online, that, that, is, a, that is a simple heartfelt prayer away from being counted as one of the, one of, of the ones that he saved. You just, you just put your belief in him as we've been talking about. You just... Trust and acknowledge that, that, that your way is not the way. That, that you, you, can't, you can't be good enough to be good enough for God. And ask Jesus to save you from, from your, your sin. You can just do that right now. And there's not a formula. There's not a formula. God, we thank you for for reminding us this morning of how much you love us. Praise your holy name. Pray that you would dismiss us with your peace. God, would you bless as we, we're starting our, our rooted groups this week where we're, we're, we're committing to dive into to what it means to, to follow you, to believe in you, to believe in you more and, and, and love each other and know, get to know each other better. God, would you bless those groups? Would you uh, make ways straight? Would you keep schedules clear? Would you keep cars running? And, um, and put us in places where we can, we can uh, really connect with each other and, and, and have, just have powerful, transformative times in, in, with you and with each other. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. 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 God bless. We, um, we are starting Rooted this week. If you've not signed up for a group and you are still interested, today is the last day you can sign up. We'll have somebody at the, the counter on your way out. You can talk to them or just jump online um, at ChristianAssembly.com and, and, and register. Um, you guys have a great week. We'll, we'll see you next Sunday.